you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We are uh, currently in a series on... The focus of the series is David, and the series is entitled Warrior Faith. Uh, You'll find Psalm 23 on page uh, 458 in the Bible in front of you. So if you don't have your Bible this morning, I invite you to grab that copy. You should find it in the chair in front of you underneath there, and uh, grab it out and turn to that page and follow along, okay? So Psalm 23, and uh, I'll read it for us. This is a Psalm of David, so David wrote this Psalm, very familiar to many of us. Let me read it for us, and then we'll pray and consider what God has to say to us. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you and praise you that Jesus has paid the penalty, paid the price for all our sins. And it's with that confidence that we come before You now and come before Your Word and pray with boldness that You would be with us in these moments. Because we have been made right before You through the death of Your Son, we come before You and we ask, Oh God, please show us favor, show us mercy, show compassion. Lord, be with us in these moments. This Word which is so precious, may it not fall on deaf ears. Father, we pray that we would be set free we would be granted life, and we pray that we would know you. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, uh, we are in a series entitled Warrior Faith. We're in a larger series. If if you've been here, uh, if you're a member, if you're here on a regular basis, you know we're in a larger series in the Gospel of Mark. We've been walking through Mark for some time. And now in the summer, uh, for these few weeks, we're taking a short break and working through this short series entitled Warrior Faith. It is a series considering the faith of David. So last week, we considered in 1 Samuel 17, the account of David and Goliath. God used young David to slay the great giant, and it was a remarkable example of faith on the part of David. And then this week, we're going to look at Psalm 23, and next week, Psalm 42. Okay, Two psalms that were written by David himself. But in in considering Psalm 23, I want to put it a little bit in context to what we looked at last week in light of David slaying the great giant Goliath. You know, before David headed out to the battlefield to confront the giant, King Saul assured young David that he was no match for the Philistine and was utterly unqualified for the task. David responded in 1 Samuel 17 with these words, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. 
And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so what we see in this passage as, as David responds to King Saul is that David, previous to facing Goliath the giant, David had faced real danger. A hungry lion, a hungry bear, but God had protected and God had kept David in light of that danger or in the face of that danger. And just as David was determined to shepherd and protect the flock that had been entrusted to his care, David had learned that God was committed to protecting and keeping him. It was out of that experience, the experience of God shepherding him and protecting him, that then David possessed the faith of a warrior to confront the great giant and slay him. Essentially what David is saying in responding to King Saul is that God has shepherded, God has protected me against this lion, against this bear, against others. He will be with me now as I step out in faith to protect his people for the glory of his name by confronting Goliath. And here we learn that faith to step out in obedience, faith to take risk for the sake of the gospel flows from a personal knowledge and personal trust in God. Did you get that? So, so we're looking at warrior faith. David stepping out in faith, taking risk for the sake of God and for the glory of His name. That type of faith flows out of a personal knowledge and trust in God. You must know God as your shepherd before you can step out in faith for Him as a warrior. You know, one of the dangers in approaching this psalm, and I know this as we're, as we're going to be considering Psalm 23 and this morning, one of the dangers in approaching Psalm 23 is that it's just so dang familiar, right? To many of us, it is so familiar. I imagine that all of us, probably all of us, at one time or another, have heard the words of Psalm 23. Beside John 3.16, Psalm 23 may be the most well-known and loved passage in the Bible, but one of the things I want you to do this morning, I, I, I do hope that you learn some new things about Psalm 23 this morning, but more importantly than that, I want you to ask the question, do I know the God of this psalm as my shepherd? So even though it's familiar in many ways to us, and hopefully we'll be learning some new things about Psalm 23 this morning. I want you to have that question in mind though. Do I know the God of this psalm as my shepherd? Beyond what's just being said about him in this text, do I know him personally? Do I trust him as my shepherd? The outline for our message this morning is very simple, just two points. The Lord is my shepherd, and secondly, the Lord is my host, my host. So first, the Lord is my shepherd, that's in verses 1 to 4, and then the Lord is my host, verses 5 and 6. So let's look here again at Psalm 23. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 4, and then we'll, we'll look at uh, what it has to say. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
So you notice here in the first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Now that seems to be a strange juxtaposition. It seems to be a strange combination of words. It almost seems to be an oxymoron, like they don't fit together. They're opposed to one another because on the one hand you have Lord. This is the name for Yahweh. This is Yahweh, the name of God in the Old Testament. The great God of Israel. It's His covenant name. It is the same name that was used when God revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush. Moses said, well, what, who, should, I, 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 who am I going to tell the people sent me? Right? Who sent me? And God responds by saying, you tell them, I am who I am. Yahweh, that's the name, I am. He is the eternal, unchangeable, all-sufficient God, the great deliverer of Israel. This is the one who threw Pharaoh and his army and all his chariots into the Red Sea and drowned them. Yahweh, the great I Am here, though, is identified as a shepherd. Now, shepherds represented many, many things, but one of them was not greatness. You remember that David himself, and we've already alluded to this, David himself was a shepherd. And why was that? Well, in part because he was the youngest of eight sons, and the least desirable work fell to the youngest. So a shepherd's work in this culture and context was considered to be menial, menial, and shepherds were often marginalized. However, what we see here in verse 1 is that the Lord, the great God of Israel, I am who I am, has chosen to take upon Himself the work and labor of a shepherd. It reminds us of the incarnation, one of the great Christian truths. or or truths of the Christian faith that God the Son humbled Himself and took on flesh, left heaven and became a man in order that He might serve us and identify with us in our need. In fact, it was Jesus who said in John 10, verse 14, I am, and Tim read it for us this morning, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. So not only has the Son of God humbled Himself and taken on human flesh, but He has come to do the work of a shepherd to tend for sheep. Now if this is true, and and follow the logic here, if this is true that the great God of the universe, Yahweh, I am who I am, has chosen to take on the work and labor of a shepherd to care for us, if Yahweh has chosen to act as a shepherd acts towards his sheep in relationship to us, then what does that mean? How might that affect us? And in verse 1, David immediately states the implications of such a remarkable truth. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore what? I shall not want. I shall not want. If Yahweh has chosen to act towards me in the same way that a shepherd acts towards his sheep, then I can trust Him in all things and in all circumstances at all times to meet my every need. David goes on in the rest of these verses here, these first four verses, to identify the various ways that the Lord has promised to provide for us. There's four that He mentions, okay? The first, notice there, is rest. So I shall not want. What does that mean? What does it mean that I won't want? that I I will not want. Well, the Lord will provide me with rest. Look there in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Pastor uh, Philip Keller was a shepherd for eight years 
and uh, he wrote a book entitled A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And reflecting on these words, he points out that it's very difficult to get sheep to lie down because they are so timid. So that if there is friction between one sheep and another in the flock, then they will refuse to lay down. If they are bothered by flies or insects, they will refuse to lie down. If they are hungry, then they will refuse to lie down. In short, sheep must be free of any sources of stress or want in order to be at ease enough to lie down. But David has come to learn that the Lord is a good and a careful shepherd that He ministers to our anxious souls so that we might lie down, lie down in green and lush pastures and rest. Let me ask you, are you tired this morning? Not just like you didn't get good sleep last night or stayed up too late. But are you weary? Are you worn out by the trials and the struggles of life? Then the Lord can calm your fears and anxieties. He can cause your timid and weak soul to be at ease and to rest. You know, it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not only does the Lord provide rest for those who are His, but He also provides restoration. Look there in verses 2 through 3. And we read these words, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. So like any animal, water is necessary for the sheep's survival, and the Lord is faithful to provide. I've been told that thirsty sheep can be led to a source of water, and they will refuse to drink it unless the water is still and calm. So, so you're getting the idea now that sheep are pretty high maintenance, okay? <laughs> right? I hope you're catching that. But listen, you and I are often the same, aren't we? Although our souls are thirsty and parched and dry, we often refuse to drink. We can be surrounded by fresh, living water that will give us life, God's Word, the opportunity to pray, to meet with God's people and worship to engage in Christian fellowship and relationships. And yet, although we're surrounded by it all, we refuse to drink. And how patient the Lord is with us. How tender and gracious He is with us that even though we find ourselves in that situation where we refuse to drink, He so graciously and kindly removes each and every obstacle that keeps us from drinking. And He calms and stills the waters so that our fear and stubbornness does not turn us away, but we are drawn to drink. And by coming to Him and by drinking, we are restored and we are made new. Again, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the Lord provides rest. He provides restoration. He also provides righteousness. Look there in verse 3, and it reads, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It could also be translated, He leads me in straight paths for His name's sake. 
Okay, so we said that sheep are high maintenance. They also are not the brightest animals in the world. Uh, researchers actually in recent years, this has kind of universally been accepted, and researchers in recent years have challenged the universally accepted idea that sheep are dumb. Uh, they point out through any number of uh, research projects that they've done, they point out now that sheep can learn their way through a maze, uh, that sheep can uh, remember the faces of other sheep, so they've done tests and they've uh, proven this to be the case. And that's all well, but even the primary researcher in this project also admits that, quote, sheep have a reputation for being extremely dim and their flock behavior backs that up as they are very silly animals when in a group. If there is a hole, they will fall into it. If there is something to knock over, then they will knock it over. So, whatever signs of new intelligence may be found among sheep, sheep are still and remain frustratingly dumb, okay? And it is in that context, it is with that in mind, that the prophet Isaiah compares our own waywardness to the dullness of sheep, right? When the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. If there's a hole, we'll find it. We have turned everyone, to, everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Like sheep we stray. Like sheep we stray into sin and unrighteousness. In the words of one of the great hymns that we sing here at Berea, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. But listen to the promise here. At the same time, the Lord in His grace and in His mercy and in His tender care leads us in straight paths and in paths of righteousness. He redeems us. He gives us His Spirit. And He progressively changes us. Foolish as we are, we often fall into the same holes. But if we are His, He continually searches us out. He continually rescues us. He continually plucks us out of that hole and sets us back on the right path. And progressively, by His grace, we return to those same dangers less and less. And why does He do this? Notice what the text says. For His name's sake. We mentioned this last week. It, it, it was over and over again. You see it in the story of David and Goliath. That the reason that David faces the great giant Goliath is not because he's super macho, but he faces Goliath because he is concerned about the glory of God's name, right? Goliath is defying the armies of the living God. He is disrespecting God. And so this, this ignites in David a passion to confront Goliath. And we see this all throughout Scripture that God is absolutely committed to the glory of His name. I am the Lord and there is no other. I will not give my praise to another nor my praise to a graven image. He is absolutely committed to the glory of His name. And here, the psalmist says, the Lord leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. In other words, if you are His... If you are in Christ and you belong to God, then He has committed Himself to you as, his as, as your shepherd and as your provider. And there is no way He would forsake you because to do so, to do so would dishonor His name. He is committed to you and to your good as much as He is committed to His name. And so for His name's sake, He leads you in paths of righteousness. 
the fourth thing that God grants to us. Not only rest and restoration and righteousness, but the fourth thing is peace. Okay, look there in verse 4 when we read these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now the literal translation here actually, when it says I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the literal translation here is I walk through the valley of deep darkness. Some of you know what that's like. The valley of deep darkness. And so here we see in our text that the believer, we've, so, so we've looked at these such comforting and reassuring promises here in the early part of this song, but, psalm, but here we see that the believer, yes, he can be assured of green pastures. Yes, he can be assured of still waters. Yes, he can be assured of restoration. Yes, he can be assured of divine guidance but he or she can also be assured of valleys. The Lord's providential care does not exempt the believer from knowing and experiencing the lows and the depths of living in a sinful world. In fact, it is in these valleys that we develop character and come to know our shepherd in a deeper and more intimate way. I've studied this psalm a number of times and preached it uh, a few times, and so this last week I was listening to a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson on the same psalm to get some fresh perspective. And when he came to this point, he shared a story that when he reads this verse, he is often reminded of a friend of his, a friend of his who lost his daughter, his 18-year-old daughter. And uh, Dr. Ferguson was at the memorial service of this friend uh, who had lost his daughter, and they were speaking to one another about the grief and about the loss uh, that he had endured and his friend said to him while he was talking to him his friend remarked and said we know now that there is nothing left to fear so he's just lost his 18 year old daughter in death and he says we know now that there is nothing left to fear in other words what he was saying to Dr. Ferguson was we have been to the deep dark valley and he is here we have been there. We are in the midst of it. And He is with us. And so we don't have to fear whether or not that promise is true because we've been there. We are there now. And He is here. And so we do not have to fear. You know, although sheep are fearful and timid animals and although they are defenseless, in other words, they have no means of protection when others are pursuing against them. The Lord is pictured here not only as being present, but notice this, He is pictured as having being armed with a rod which is used to ward off and fight off wild animals and He also has a staff to steer and guide the sheep as they cross the deep dark valley. So not only, notice, notice the significance of this, not only will He be with you, which is the promise, He will be with you in the deep, dark valley, but He is fully equipped and capable of protecting and preserving you in the valley. So He's not just an incompetent companion, right? I mean, there is the comfort of knowing someone's with you, but in addition to that, He is fully able to provide and to protect and to guide. So we know that God will be with us from Scripture because it says it here. There's a promise. We know that God will be with us through personal experience, even as I mentioned the example of that father who had lost his daughter and 
Christians, many Christians could bear witness or testimony to that reality. But we also know that God will be with us in the deep, dark valley because of the gospel. So we know from scripture, we know from experience, but we can also know from the gospel. We know that God will be with us in the deep, dark valley because he has already walked through the deepest and darkest valley on our behalf in our place so that we would not have to. Did you catch that in John chapter 10? Tim read it for us earlier this morning. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Now that's remarkable, isn't it? Because Jesus, here he's a man, and he is speaking, he's teaching the people, and he says, I am the good shepherd, identifying himself with the shepherd of Psalm 23, right? The great God, Yahweh. He identifies himself with the shepherd of Psalm 23. And then he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does he mean when he says he lays down his life for the sheep? Well, Jesus here is talking about his coming death and crucifixion. The Bible teaches us that our sin leads to death, to eternal death and eternal separation from God. But the good shepherd, he has come to take upon himself our sins and to offer himself in our place, on our behalf, to die our death so that we might be forgiven. The prophet Isaiah states it this way in Isaiah 53, 6. We read it before. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on the good shepherd, the iniquity of us all. Do you see this? Since Jesus, the good shepherd, went through the deepest, darkest valley imaginable at the cross on our behalf, in our place, and fully bore the penalty for our sin, surely we can be confident that He will walk through uh, with us in the various hardships and trials of life. And Paul reasons this way in Romans chapter 8, right? When he says, He who did not spare His own Son, how will He not freely give you all things. If He went through the deepest and darkest valley at the cross to bear our sin, will He not be with you in every other suffering and trial? So the Lord provides rest. He provides restoration. He provides peace. Secondly, I want us to see here in our text that the Lord is my host. So that was the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. Secondly, the Lord is my host. And this is found in verses 5 and 6. We won't spend quite as much time here. Notice there in verse 5 we read, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now remember as we look at verse 5 that David was a man of war. But despite the fact that many wished evil and harm to come upon David and many sought out his life, the Lord continues to honor him and to show him favor. He blesses him and places him before a feast. You notice as well in the text that this feast includes oil and wine. Now why is that significant? Well, in a hot, dry climate like the Near East, oil and wine were prized possessions. Due to the heat, 
oil was used to moisten the skin, especially the face, to keep it from drying and cracking. And of course, wine was used to wet a parched throat. In Psalm 104, verse 15, David thanks the Lord for both of these things. He thanks the Lord in Psalm 104, verse 15, for wine to gladden the heart of man and for oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. And so these are signs of God's favor and God's blessing. And notice there in verse 6 that God's favor continues. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And it's been noted here that that word follow, which is translated in the ESV follow, that it has the sense or the idea of pursue. And in fact, perhaps a better translation would be pursue. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. And so again, this idea that David was a man of war, he was used to other people pursuing him, right? Enemies pursuing him and wanting to take his life. But instead of fearing the pursuit of his enemies... We see here that David is confident that the Lord will pursue him with favor and with goodness and with mercy. You know, one of the remarkable revelations that we come to understand as Christians is that our Christian lives are not so much marked by us seeking God's goodness and favor and then as a result, experiencing it as a consequence of us pursuing it and striving after it, but rather, His goodness and mercy have been pursuing us. Isn't that beautiful? And His pursuit is relentless. You know, more times than not, we're shamefully resisting and running from His goodness, but He continues to pursue us and to bless us and to shower goodness and mercy upon us. So we are not so much the recipients of His goodness and mercy and grace because we are pursuing it, but He is pursuing us. And because of that, we benefit. Finally, notice where the psalm ends in the house of the Lord. David is confident here that the banquet of God's goodness will never end. He says there at the end of the psalm, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For the Christian... The banquet does not end. It doesn't end when we die. But the banquet continues on forever and ever. When we die, it's just beginning. We will feast at the table of the Lord forever and ever. Notice the progression in this psalm. It's important to see this as you look at the psalm as a whole. It's important for us to keep this full progression in view. You notice in the psalm that it begins in the pasture with the Lord's tender care. And then we are led through the deep valley of darkness. And finally, we are brought into the house of the Lord forever. Is this not the experience of every true child of God? We praise God for the pasture of God's love and care and restoration and redemption. Oh, how we can all attest to the valleys and the trials and the hardships of living in a sinful world. But before us, right, always before us is the certain hope and joy of life eternal in the presence of God. Do you know the God of this psalm personally? 
one of the reasons this psalm is so widely loved is because it is so personal. Notice there in the first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Not simply the shepherd of Israel, not simply the shepherd of His people, but He is my shepherd. And He watches over me. Notice it in verse 2. He makes me lie down. He leads me. Verse 3, He restores my soul. He leads me. Verse 4, He's with me. He comforts me. Verse 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Do you see the first personal pronoun repeated over and over and over again? This is not, David just doesn't know things about this God. He knows this God. Do you know the God of this psalm? Can you say He is my shepherd? Do you trust Him as your shepherd? It is by knowing God as your shepherd, going back to where we started, It is by knowing God as your shepherd that you will be secure enough and you will be confident enough to step out in faith for Him as a warrior. But you have to know Him as your shepherd first. Father, we pray this morning for everyone who is here who might not be able to say with sincerity, I know this God as my shepherd. Father, I pray that by Your Spirit You would move and work now. And Lord, I pray that by Your Word and by Your Spirit that You would open hearts. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is here now who doesn't know for sure if you are their shepherd, if, if, if they are a Christian, if they are in Christ. And Lord, I pray that the free offer of the gospel would be just so appealing, so persuasive, so compelling. Lord, I pray even now that they would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus and His death, the death of the Good Shepherd on their behalf. Know that you are, in fact, through faith in Christ, you are their shepherd. And then, Father, I pray for each of us who profess to be Christians, who are seeking you, and seeking to honor you with our lives. Lord, we want to be men and women of faith. We want to be a church of faith, confident in you, willing to take risk for the sake of the gospel. But, Lord, we must know you and be able to rest in you and trust in you and hope in you before we'll ever step out in faith for the sake of the gospel. So Lord, may the promises that we have considered this morning in Psalm 23, may they be very real to us. May we know you increasingly as our shepherd, personally, each one of us, and as a church corporately. Lord, we pray that we would walk in all the goodness that is ours in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.